I'm Randy Slavacek, your host. I'm also the writer and editor of TheRandyReport.com, where you can find me every single day on the internet reporting on the daily news cycle in terms of politics, pop culture, and entertainment news of interest to the LGBTQ community. Today, we are closing out not only the year, but the decade. As we head into the Roaring Twenties, I wanted to take a look back at 2019 and the 20 teens to acknowledge the accomplishments, visibility, and fierceness that the LGBTQ community has achieved so far. First, I wanted to share the top five news stories that appeared on The Randy Report this year, beginning with, on November 9th, When a Gay Teen Heard the Word Faggot One Time Too Many, my first article to surpass one million views. It was the slap heard round the world when a gay teen in Indiana, Jordan Steffi, stood up to his bully and said he had had enough. It warmed my heart to see so many people respond to this story as it went viral throughout the month. It reminded me why I started The Randy Report, because this was a story of empowerment, literally the definition of the word empowerment, as Jordan owned his own power. He said, enough is enough. I will not hear this word again. I will stand up for myself. And you could feel almost the entire LGBTQ community on the internet standing by him, either as those people who stood up to their bullies themselves in high school, or those of us who wish we had. Bravo to Jordan Steffi for inspiring us and reminding us that we do have the power to stand up for ourselves. My second biggest story of the year was on March 26th when I wrote about a bill in Texas to legalize LGBTQ discrimination by licensed professionals. It surprised me that a story about legislation, not always an inspiring topic on the internet, took off and grabbed the attention of so many people. On December 10th, I posted a cute bit about international pop star Ricky Martin getting handsy with himself on Instagram, and it got a lot of attention, for reasons you can imagine. On August 1st, I wrote about Julianne Huff of Dancing with the Stars fame, who shared with Women's Health magazine this year the moment she told her new husband, you know I'm not straight, right? And on May 27th, and other posts, about former totally not gay Congressman Aaron Schock, who continued to seemingly come out himself by appearing in tray gay situations throughout the year. He's apparently come out to his friends and family now and told a drag queen he was working on a statement to the public explaining his past votes and policy positions as a congressman against LGBTQ rights. But we've not seen it in the months since that news was shared. Next, I'd like to recap a short list of awesome political moments by the gays over the past 10 years. Beginning with December 22, 2010, Following through on a campaign promise, President Barack Obama signed the repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell, the 1994 Clinton administration policy that banned military service by openly gay people. Don't Ask, Don't Tell was a compromise after President Clinton failed to deliver on a 1992 campaign promise to allow gay and lesbian Americans to join the military. The repeal went into effect in September 2011. December 6, 2011, in an echo of her iconic 1995 speech in Beijing as First Lady, where she declared that human rights are women's rights and women's rights are human rights, Secretary of State Hillary Rodham Clinton delivered a speech on December 6, 2011 to the United Nations declaring, Gay rights are human rights, and human rights are gay rights. 
In May 2012, then-Vice President Joe Biden announced he was absolutely comfortable with same-sex marriage ahead of his boss, President Obama, who would soon evolve on the issue. In July 2012, the Food and Drug Administration approved Truvada as HIV pre-exposure prophylaxis, or PrEP, to prevent HIV acquisition in high-risk individuals, particularly gay men and transgender women. PrEP was controversial when it was approved, but has grown more widely used and accepted as cities, states, and the federal government has moved to widely promote its use as a tool to end the HIV epidemic. In places like New York City, high rates of PrEP uptake has led to HIV infection rates dropping dramatically. In November 2012, Senator Tammy Baldwin of Wisconsin was elected to the Senate. She became the first LGBTQ person ever elected to the U.S. Senate. But even then, Baldwin, who was first elected to political office more than three decades ago at 24, was no stranger to making history. In 1998, she was elected to the House of Representatives, becoming the first gay woman and the first openly LGBTQ non-incumbent elected to either Chamber of Commerce. In June 2013, the Defense of Marriage Act, or DOMA, passed in 1996 in response to Hawaii's brief flirtation with legalizing same-sex marriage, was ruled unconstitutional by the Supreme Court in the landmark U.S. v. Windsor decision. The ruling allowed federal benefits to flow equally to same-sex married couples in Washington, D.C. and the 12 states at the time where gay marriage was legal. And then on June 26, 2015, one of the greatest days of my life, citing its 2013 decision that overturned DOMA, the Supreme Court handed down its landmark decision in Obergefell v. Hodges, which found a constitutional right to marriage that included same-sex couples, legalizing gay marriage nationwide. In an iconic image beamed around the world, the White House was lit in the colors of the LGBTQ pride flag to celebrate the ruling. Nearly a year later, sadness. As the lone gunman opened fire in the Orlando LGBTQ nightclub Pulse, on June 12, 2016, killing 49 people. The shooting was briefly the deadliest mass shooting in U.S. history. Just a few weeks later, on June 24, 2016, the still-running Stonewall Inn became the first National Park Service-operated national monument dedicated to LGBTQ rights. In November 2016, Kate Brown, an out bisexual, made history when she became the first openly LGBTQ person to be elected governor of a U.S. state. On November 8, 2017, Danica Rome, a former journalist, became the first openly transgender person to be elected and serve in any U.S. state legislature when she won her race for a seat in the Virginia House of Delegates. This year, on January 23, 2019, in a video posted to Twitter, Pete Buttigieg, mayor of South Bend, Indiana, announced the formation of his presidential campaign exploratory committee. The millennial mayor spoke to NBC News and said he once believed that coming out might be a career death sentence. Buttigieg is the first openly gay man to ever appear in a Democratic primary debate, and as I record this, he is leading in the polls for the upcoming first-in-the-nation Iowa caucuses.
And finally, how could I not mention that on June 28th this year, the 50th anniversary of the New York City riot that sparked the modern gay rights movement, Stonewall 50 transformed into a giant global celebration of LGBTQ rights. New York City even hosted dueling, record-breaking LGBTQ pride marches that numbered over 5 million attendees. Looking back on television over the past year, we were thrilled to see Armistead Maupin's Tale of the City return, examining advancements of the LGBTQ community, its generational and class divides, as well as the challenges that lay before us. It was, again, simply delicious. Inspired by the books of Armistead Maupin, the new Netflix limited series began a new chapter in the beloved story. Marianne, played by Laura Linney, returned to present-day San Francisco and was reunited with her adopted daughter Shauna, played by Ellen Page, and her ex-husband Brian, played by Paul Gross, 20 years after leaving them behind to pursue her career. Fleeing the midlife crisis that her picture-perfect Connecticut life created, Marianne was quickly drawn back into the orbit of Anna Madrigal, played by the luminous Olympia Dukakis her chosen family, and a new generation of queer residents living at 28 Barbary Lane. And also this year, from the past to the present, representing the pinnacle of an explosive decade of LGBTQ television, the FX series Pose represents queer life and history like nothing else before it. The New York ball scene, the AIDS epidemic, the role of transgender people in shaping the community, and the ongoing struggle for equality— it's all there, recreated in gritty detail. In addition to Ryan Murphy producing and directing, the show boasts the insightful creative talents of co-creator Stephen Cannells, transgender writers like Our Lady J and Janet Mock, and an extraordinary cast led by the extraordinary performers MJ Rodriguez and Emmy Award winner Billy Porter. No other series to date depicts the LGBTQ community with such stark realism or love. Looking back over the decade, we have to remember several shows that gave us so much visibility. For instance, in 2014, Fox's Empire, with Jussie Smollett playing Jamal, a gay hip-hop artist making his way in the world of black recording artists. It broke ground. It was a sexy and powerful new drama chronicling the lives of the head of a music empire whose three sons and ex-wife all battle for his throne. Sadly, it broke our hearts as well when earlier this year Smellett became embroiled in a scandal questioning whether he faked a hate crime against himself. Also in 2014 was Amazon Video's Transparent, which gave us the first series to star a transgender female character played by Jeffrey Tambor. When the Pfefferman family patriarch makes a dramatic admission, the entire family's secrets started to spill out, and each of them spun off in different directions as they began to figure out who they were trying to become. With terrific storylines brought to life by a stellar cast, Transparent afforded more opportunities for trans artists on both sides of the camera than any other show up to that point. In 2015, Netflix's Sensate gave LGBTQ sci-fi nerds the television series they'd been waiting for. In one moment, eight minds were linked in desperate parts of the world, putting eight strangers into each other's lives, each other's secrets, and in terrible danger. I found the series thrilling. In 2017, 
American Crime Story, The Assassination of Gianni Versace, again by Ryan Murphy, was practically operatic in its storytelling and gave Darren Criss a career-defining opportunity to show his range and talent as the complex gay murderer Andrew Kuanan. The miniseries seemed to teach that the tragedies depicted could have been avoided if American homophobia didn't exist and successful men didn't feel the need to live in loveless straight marriages. Let's talk about movies in 2019. Here's just a few that really stood out for me as a viewer and drew me in. First, Giant Little Ones, a coming-of-age drama about two teen boys that isn't about coming out, but dealing with the confusion and pain that follows an occurrence in their lives together. And there was Rocket Man, the epic musical fantasy about the incredible human story of Elton John's breakthrough years. The film followed the fantastical journey of transformation from shy piano prodigy Reginald Dwight into international superstar Elton John. The inspirational story, set to Elton John's most beloved songs and performed by its star, Taron Egerton, told the universally relatable story of how a small-town boy could become one of the most iconic figures in pop culture. Also this year, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. The winner of a coveted Cannes Prize and one of the best-reviewed films of the year, the film solidifies its director as one of the most exciting filmmakers working in the world today. The two leading ladies turn the subtle act of looking, glancing, and catching one's eye into a dangerous, thrilling, crafting, and breathtaking performance. To watch them fall in love is to see love itself invented on screen. I also loved End of the Century, which revolves around two men who meet on a Barcelona balcony and it leaves a lingering impression on your heart. Like a great poem, End of the Century gives voice to a seemingly indescribable feeling, one anyone who's ever fallen in love will recognize deep in their soul. Watching the film is like bumping into an old friend you forgot how much you liked. Reminiscent of delicate romances like Weekend and Call Me By Your Name, it will certainly endure as one of the most evocative gay films of the decade. And also this year, Pain and Glory, the seventh film pairing Antonio Banderas with director Pedro Almodovar. In this iteration, Banderas plays a loosely fictionalized version of his beloved friend, director, and collaborator, with a gentle warmth underpined by the low hum of morality and anxiety. And other movies of the 20-teens in no particular order, kinda sorta, I'll start with Love, Simon, which was based on a best-selling book and followed Simon Spire, played by Nick Robinson, as he navigates closeted life in high school, battling blackmail and searching for love in the process. It was the first movie about a gay teen to be backed by a major studio, 20th Century Fox. It also became a commercial and critical hit, garnering over $60 million at the box office worldwide. Then there's The Kids Are All Right. Starring as a lesbian couple, Annette Bening and Julianne Moore, who find their peaceful domestic life challenged when their children seek out their sperm donor, played by Mark Ruffalo. It was one of the first mainstream films to showcase a rainbow family. In addition to achieving box office success, it also received critical acclaim garnering Oscar nods for both its two leads. It was also nominated for Best Picture at the 83rd Academy Awards. And then there's Beginners. The thoughtful story of a father, played by Christopher Plummer, who, after his wife dies, comes out to their son, Ewan McGregor. It was inspired by the real-life experiences of filmmaker Mike Mills. 
Christopher Plummer, who won an Oscar for the role, plays the senior who is relieved to finally embrace his identity and who is trying to keep up with the new and much younger boyfriend while learning what it means to be gay at 75. And in 2017, God's Own Country, a British drama about a sheep farmer's relationship with a Romanian migrant worker. It was a hit at the Sundance Film Festival, where it won the directing award in world cinema for the first-time filmmaker Francis Lee. And it's easy to see why. The film is beautiful and visceral and at times violent in its depiction of how self-hate and stigma and prejudice can complicate queer love. We the Animals was based on the beloved queer novel by Justin Torres, a moving coming-of-age story directed by Jeremiah Zager. It's centered on Jonah, who turns 10 at the film's beginning and his tumultuous journey coming to terms with his sexuality and masculinity in a mixed white and Puerto Rican household in upstate New York. In 2015, the dramedy Tangerine, directed by Sean Baker, was shot on an iPhone 5S camera with a budget of only $100,000. The innovative approach to filmmaking, which sparked many headlines for its thriftiness, is all the more remarkable considering the historic nature of its subject matter. Tangerine was the first film in awards contention to star two transgender women of color. Maya Taylor, and Katana Kiki Rodriguez, portraying trans lives. Although the film ultimately did not receive Oscar nominations, it moved the needle for representation by showing the power and importance of authentic transgender representation. The film not only spoke to the hardships trans women can face in work, but the joy and humor found in the relationships between these women. Tangerine is also a commentary on Hollywood. It depicts the marginalized people who walk and ride the bus along the streets where some of the world's biggest movies are made, but who so rarely receive representation. Earlier in this episode, I mentioned Weekend, the 2011 film which had a simple plot. Russell and Glenn meet in a club, hook up, and then spend one weekend together. The production is filled with passionate sex scenes, but even more relevatory are the conversations the men have with each other as Glenn prepares to leave the country. Conversations that speak to love and life and what it means to be a gay man in the 21st century. And there's the Oscar-winning A Fantastic Woman, directed by Sebastian Lelio. The movie is a fantastic Chilean film that follows a transgender woman, Marina, played by Daniela Vega, in the wake of her partner's death. In addition to loss, Marina endures many hardships and indignities, facing eviction, suspicion, and rejection from the family of her loved one. International audiences embraced Marina's story, and it won Best Foreign Film at the Academy Awards. Call Me By Your Name, a dream of a film directed by Luca Guadagnino, enchanted both audiences and critics with its perfect depiction of northern Italy and its central romance between a 17-year-old, Elio, and his father's 24-year-old graduate student, Oliver. The actors shined in their portrayal of first love and heartbreak. The 2015 film Carol, Todd Haynes's big-screen adaptation of the 1952 novel The Price of Salt, Carol, starred Kate Blanchett as the titular Carol, a soon-to-be-divorced New Jersey socialite and a mother who falls for Runa Mari's Therese, the shop girl who, as Carol notes, was flung out of space. The film earned six Oscar nominations. 
and it was the first Oscar-worthy love story about a female couple in which a man doesn't steal focus and that doesn't end in disaster or death for the women. In fact, the novel and the film's hopeful ending offers a possible happily ever after for Carolyn Therese. And finally, the luminous 2017 film Moonlight, which tracks Chiron, a young black man who is coming to terms with his homosexuality through three stages of his life. It dazzled festival audiences and critics before becoming the first ever LGBTQ-themed film to win an Academy Award for Best Picture. Black gay men rarely get this kind of screen portrayal, the kind that shows them with haunting and joyful complexity, and receives glowing reviews from top critics and an Academy Award for Best Picture. In a time when so many of the topics addressed by the film, poverty, homophobia, the school-to-prison pipeline, all these things remain real issues in vulnerable communities and in America, it is indeed a privilege that we have a film like Moonlight. And throughout the 20-teens, there was pop culture where LGBTQ artists, individuals, celebrated their abilities and permeated our society. Beginning with Netflix's Orange is the New Black, which took the world by storm when the original series, Following the Lives of Female Prison Inmates, came out in 2013. Breakout star Laverne Cox paved the way for trans actresses to star in mainstream television shows and raked up a bunch of firsts, including the first daytime Emmy nomination, posing nude for allure, earning a wax figure at Madame Tussauds, being on the cover of Time, and Cox always used her platform to address trans issues and represent her community in a way not afforded to the pioneers before her. In 2014, it was important that Apple CEO Tim Cook became the first openly gay CEO on the Fortune 500 list to come out. And it wasn't just any Fortune 500 company, but it was one of the most revered companies, one he'd shepherded since being Steve Jobs' right-hand man and then a CEO after Jobs' passing. In an essay, he wrote for Bloomberg Business, I'm proud to be gay, and I consider being gay one of the greatest gifts God has given me. What was driving me was that I was getting notes from kids who were struggling with their sexual orientation. They were depressed, some had suicidal thoughts, had been banished by their own parents and family. It weighed on me in terms of what I could do. I think learning that one of America's most powerful businessmen was like them helped those kids find visibility. It premiered in 2009, but RuPaul's Drag Race reached fever pitch during the decade. RuPaul finally nabbed his first Emmy Award nomination for Drag Race for season eight. In a statement about his nomination, he said, I dedicate this nomination to outsiders everywhere, brave souls who, against all odds, stick to their dreams and make the world a more colorful place. On behalf of these people, my tribe, I am so grateful. And in the world of sports, we saw remarkable developments that at least increased conversations about equality and acceptance in a world known for its hypermasculinity, misogyny, and homophobia. Following in the footsteps of baseball player Billy Bean and NBA stalwart John Amici, basketballer Jason Collins came out shortly after his retirement, followed closely by NFL football player Michael Sam, the first openly gay player drafted into the NFL. Robbie Rogers became the first openly gay soccer player, and NBA star Reggie Bullock used his platform to speak about violence against trans women after the brutal murder of his trans sister. 
One of the most touching moments that's developed over the past year was the Miami Heat's Dwayne Wade constantly, consistently, and confidently supporting his gay son, Zion. Throughout the 2018 Winter Olympics coverage, figure skater Adam Rippon and skier Gus Kenworthy captured everyone's hearts. Both were the first openly gay men to compete in the sport's history, and both have Olympic medals despite death threats and internet trolls wishing they'd fail. As Rapon tweeted during the games, quote, To all those who tweet at me saying they hope I fail, I have failed many times, many times in my life. But more importantly, I've learned from every setback, proudly owning up to my mistakes, growing from disappointments, and now I'm a glamazon bitch ready for the runway. While struggles continue in the real world, online, dating apps like Scruff and Grinder made efforts to fight sexual racism after years of pretending that no blacks, no Asians, and whites only was only a preference. While discriminatory language might not be totally erased from the gay hookup lexicon, at least dating apps are doing more not to be complicit in the racism that still taints our community. Begun in 2010, Dan Savage and his partner Terry Miller founded It Gets Better in response to the rise of suicides of teens who were bullied because they were or suspected of being gay. The goal was to prevent suicide by having gay adults convey the message that life gets better and they have much more to look forward to. Businesses, universities, faith organizations, and sports teams all rallied behind the campaign. Public figures from Barack Obama and Janet Jackson to Justin Bieber and Tom Hanks released videos and statements. And countries around the world, including South Africa and Italy, adopted similar campaigns. To date, over 70,000 people have shared their It Gets Better story. In the world of music, Frank Ocean turned the tide in 2012 when he revealed that his first love had been a man. Sam Smith won his Grammy Awards and came out twice, first as gay and then as non-binary. And this year, Lil Nas X came out at the end of Gay Pride Month along with his Old Town Road, which became the longest-running number one single ever, plus six Grammy nominations. And we had our anthems. Rihanna and Calvin Harris gave us the triumphant We Found Love in 2011. That same year, Born This Way by Lady Gaga was nearly inescapable, reaching the top of the charts in over 25 countries. The moment you hear it, you know it's pop perfection. But the lyrics are almost like a hymn or a spiritual for a gay person listening to a pop song that expresses a sentiment that's deep in their souls. I picture kids all around the world hearing that song on mainstream radio, seeing Lady Gaga perform it on shows like Good Morning America and the Super Bowl, and My Heart Sings. In 2014, RuPaul owned the word sissy with the mainstreaming of drag and his hit single Sissy That Walk. In 2019, pansexual icon Janelle Monet broke the internet when she dropped Pink, a super sapphic single from her Grammy-nominated album, Dirty Computer. On top of those successes, we had great music across the decade from out-indie artists like Tom Goss, Parker Matthews, Matt Zarley, Kisos, Heather Strange, Callum Scott, Eli Lieb, Justin Utley, Jeb Havens, Eric Hyman, and Matt Albert, just to name a few. 
I know there are lots of moments, stories, songs, films, and television shows I haven't covered. These were just the few that stood out in my mind. And as we look forward, I have to say I know we still have much to overcome as a community, beginning with the current occupant of the Oval Office, who has led over 100 attacks on the LGBTQ community in terms of trying to remove or reduce our protections and our rights. I look forward to 2020, the election year, and a hopeful new leader. And that brings me to the end of this episode of The Randy Report. If you enjoy catching up on LGBTQ news in a quick podcast, I'd appreciate it if you would share it with your friends. I like to think of The Randy Report as the 60 minutes of gay news, only shorter. And remember, you can find me every single day on the internet at therandyreport.com, where I cover the daily news cycle regarding politics, pop culture, and entertainment news of interest to the LGBTQ community. As we close out the year and the decade, I'm going to play out with a collaboration between two of my favorite out artists, Out Music Award winner Matt Zarley and Emmy Grammy Award winner Billy Porter. The duo teamed up to record their take on the empowering 1995 Desiree hit, You Gotta Be. Close friends for more than 30 years, the two artists had been looking to collaborate on a music project and found the message, Love Will Save the Day, particularly resonant in these challenging times. Thanks for listening, folks. See you in 2020. Listen as your day unfolds. Challenge what the future holds. Try and keep your head up to the sky. Lovers, they may cause you tears. Go ahead, release your fears. Stand up and be counted. Don't be ashamed to cry. You gotta be, you gotta be bad. You gotta be bold. You gotta be wiser. You gotta be hard. You gotta be tough. You gotta be stronger. your mother said read the books your father read try to solve those puzzles in your own sweet time some have more cash than you others take a different view Future hold, try and keep your head up to the sky. Lovers, they may cause you tears. Go ahead, release your fears.
together. Oh. 